0: What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. First podcast in a few weeks for us, but we're trying to end the uh, year on a high note with the MMA DFS uh, podcast. I'm Dan Malin, joined by Mike Alexander. Mike, how are you on this Friday night? Not
1: too bad, Dan. Put up the Christmas tree today, so we're getting in the the holiday spirit. Hopefully that holiday spirit is good to us in the, uh, the DFS landscape this weekend.
0: Uh, I have erected my Christmas tree as well. It only stands at about 15 inches tall, but I don't really have the space for an actual (laughs) tree in my apartment. Um, But let's just dive right into the slate. We won't waste any time. Uh, Main event for this fight night card is Marvin Vittori, 8,200 versus Jack Hermanson at 8,000. It's a middleweight bout. Five rounds, Vittori enters as the minus 140 favorite. He's uh, riding a three-fight win streak since his loss to Israel Adesanya uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, After a pair of wins by decision, he scored a first-round submission over Carl Roberson back in June. Hermanson is going to carry a a three-and-a-half reach advantage. Um, Feeling a little bit better about Hermanson. That's just me, though. I'm curious as to what your read is because I feel like of all the main events that we've discussed more recently, I actually feel like this is the one I'm probably most comfortable stacking in cash. Would you agree? Maybe not.
1: Cool. Definitely the most comfortable I've been in a while to stack in cash. Uh, I mean, there there are there are chances this gets finished kind of quick as in any fist fight at an, at you know, an elite level, because both of these guys, you know, they're they're on the fringe of the top five of the division. You know, they're they're probably not true title contenders, but I wouldn't be surprised if either of these guys has a title shot in their future. Um, and, you know, as far as the fight breakdown uh Vittori, you know what he needs to do is is show that he's got the wrestling to keep things standing and he probably has an edge in in the striking game over Hermanson. Hermanson's a, he's got decent boxing you mentioned the length. He's just not very fluid in most of his fights. You know, he's a little stiff. Uh it's it's he's not a natural elite striker. He's he's got decent stuff like I said. He's not, you know, He's nothing to be ashamed of, but a guy like Vittori, um, a little more fluid, a little more well-rounded in the striking, and probably a little more aggressive. So if if Hermanson can't get takedowns, then he's probably in trouble. Vittori, on the other hand, uh, you know, we saw in his fight with Roberson, that was a pretty back-and-forth affair for a bit, you know, despite Vittori dominating pretty pretty handedly. But there were still moments where, like Roberson had his back for a second, and um, you know Vitoria did a really nice job scrambling out of it. But there were there were times in there where it wasn't quite, uh, you know, um, a moment of comfort. Uh, he has been taken down before um, in the UFC. He's got he's got good takedown defense, eighty uh, percent, which is a very high mark. Uh, and even you know a guy like uh, he fought Cesar uh, Fayette three fights ago. Um, Vittori was the one who landed two takedowns and Fayette a none um and you know uh mutanche is is one of the the better wrestlers in the division so um, you know v- Vittori is a solid wrestler he's he's pretty well rounded he's also you know i think he takes his vitamins uh, putting it <laughs> circumspectly, you know
0: putting you that lightly.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, you see him on the scales. He's a little bit uh, emotional, uh, mm-hmm. extra emotional. You know, pretty ripped dude. has, a, has a, he's, he's got to uh, to do a lot of cutting to get to one eighty five. So, you know, that's it's maybe a mark in his favor um, <laughs> as far as he's going to win the fight. But yeah, you know, I, I still think in in like the back of my head, Hermanson, if he could get things tied up and and initiate the scrambles, get things to the mat. I don't think he's going to have an easy time of it, but I think he's tricky enough that if he can keep things getting, if he can keep getting things back to the mat, if he can keep getting the fight to the cage, he's going to find success at some point he's going to find a submission or really ground and pound is, is one of his trademarks. You know, if he gets on top of a guy, uh, he has, has had a couple of remarkable ground and pound finishes. So, uh I'm going to pick Hermanson and part of that is backed because I I think Vittori is going to be slightly more popular on on DraftKings. Uh so I, I like the leverage a little bit there in, in a really close fight. I agree. And I do like I I think that Hermanson his, he's got a probably better shot at winning by submission inside the distance than I think Vittori does of winning by knockout, you know, not that Vittori isn't a dangerous dude, but, um, you know, most of his fights do go to a decision. Uh, the Roberson fight, notwithstanding, that was a lot of bad blood built up there. And, and you know, uh, those dudes really wanted to have it out in the cage. So I, I think, I, you know, I, I think like you said, if it goes five rounds, it's, it's a must stack in yeah. cash because there'll be takedowns. There'll be striking, uh, You know, neither guy's hyperactive, but both are pretty active. So um, I I like it as a cash stack, too. Love it.
0: Stacking in cash, people. Next flight on the card, the co-main. We got a light heavyweight bout uh, between Jamal Hill, 8,400 versus Ovin St. Prue, 7,800 Hill is coming in as a minus 165 favorite. He's looking to crack the top 15 at light heavyweight. He's 8-0 in his professional career. He's coming off a dominant performance over and Abreu back in May. Uh, he'll be an inch taller than OSP, but OSP will make it up with a one inch reach advantage. Um, he's a little bit long in the tooth, but I absolutely don't really want to count this guy out. Uh, he scored a pretty impressive second round, second round win over Alonzo Meneville back in September. Uh, age is just a number for him. And honestly, with a lot of these, I feel like in the last few months with a lot of these older fighters, we've actually seen some impressive performances. So it's like I I don't really want to discount someone strictly just because of their age. However, I may land on more exposure to Jamal Hill strictly because I do like the price tag. Uh, What's your read on this one?
1: Right. Light heavyweight and heavyweight are the two divisions you can kind of survive in despite getting older. The one thing that does worry me a little bit is OSP missed weight, I think, for the first time ever here. He came in two and a half pounds over right, – he's technically a pound and a half over the one-pound uh, grace. But
0: And don't we typically just want guys to either just mail it in and miss weight by, like, five or six pounds rather than just get close enough and miss it? That's generally my thinking, but it's so, like – usually
1: it's it's a 50-50 split when a guy misses weight and there's no rhyme or reason to when somebody looks good or they weigh over – are they right there? You know, generally, I feel like if you miss by a pound, it's like, man, you were you're killing yourself to get there and you just didn't. Uh, so you you got uh, all the detriments of a weight cut and and the the
0: fine and you have to forfeit purse. your purse.
1: you know, you're twenty or thirty percent fine. Um, but yeah, you know, OSP has shown uh, against Alonzo Menafield, you know Menafield just chased him around the cage for too long and and OSP cracked him with a really clean counter hook. Mikhail Olojicek, Uh, you know, he had OSP in some hairy spots in the first round, but, you know, OSP came out and, and locked in that Von Flucho, uh, that is his signature signature submission. Um, you know, he beat Tyson Pedro. He beat Corey Anderson. You know, these are his most recent wins. So he's he's got tricks up his sleeve. You know, he's, he's not washed. But then, you know, he's losing uh, to Ben Rothwell in a pretty close decision. Nikita Krylov submitted him. But the one that I really think is most relevant is Dominic Reyes just smoked him from bell to bell. Uh, it was—the fight should have been stopped, I think. You know, uh, Reyes was a little bit raw still. I I don't think—I don't think he, he was, you know, angling for the finish the way he should have. I think he was comfortable and just let the fight end. It was, there was some controversy, like, was it a—did the fight get the final bell or did he knock Reyes out? Because he did knock him down, but— uh, it was technically a decision win. I think Hill's got a lot of that in him. You know, he's he's got the the size, the same length, the same height for the most part as OSP, which is usually a, a an advantage OSP enjoys. Um, we do have some questions: if somebody can wrestle Hill, are are they going to have success? Because uh, in Hill's UFC debut, Dark Stojich did take him down, um, and you know, tired him out. Uh, he landed six takedowns. Hill got right up from most of it, or or was, you know, in, in a safe spot during all of it, never really in danger, but you know, you could see it warm down. So OSP can grapple a bit. If he does go to that, he's got the dangerous submissions. It's not it's not a layup here uh for, for Jamal for Jamal Hill. But I think he is he's one of the next comings in the division. Nobody wants to fight this dude. When he was in, you know, the, the lower circuits, he, you know, he's three and zero and four and zero. Nobody wanted to fight the dude. He's only three and zero and four and zero. Like he hasn't fought anybody yet. But people saw it. They saw the athleticism. They saw the power. They saw the reach. The the dynamic striking, and they were just like, pass. Uh, don't don't, <laughs> don't send that contract my way. I'll I'll fight somebody else. It gets uh, a, a contender series fight. Wins it pretty easily. Nobody wants to take his UFC debut. Darko Stosic, who has uh, got a rock for a head, is the only dude who steps to the plate. Um, and eight great punishments, some really nasty knees. Amazing that he survived it. Tells me about his toughness. And then Clinton Abreu, his next fight, again, another dude that takes fights nobody wants. And now he's to OSP, who's like the final boss of fights, guy who takes fights nobody wants. It's like, you know, you look at Olajicek, Reyes, the guys that OSP signs on to fight. They're dangerous people. Menafield even they're not people that guys are clamoring to get into the ring with. Uh, so it's a nice test. I think he passes it without too much trouble. Um, okay. But you know, if you're going to build five lineups, you probably want to throw a OSP into into one of them.
0: So basically, with a guy with the pedigree of Jamal Hill and how everyone's afraid of him and they don't want to take the fight, eighty four hundred is a really good price tag for someone like that.
1: Yeah, great price, and we we saw that in the Abreu fight. You know, the question was, can he get wrestled by Abreu because Abreu's got that jiu jitsu, mm-hmm. and we got a really nice, um, you know, mid eight 8K, uh, wanna eight k. I want to say eighty six or eighty seven hundred price tag on him, uh, and he came through huge. You know, it was it was a hundred points plus. I I think the. Uh, the, fantasy, the main fantasy alarm count won, I think, five figures on that lineup that night. Nice. <laughs> it was a big night. So let's let's hope for shades of that uh, on I Saturday. Love it.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we will get to uh, Gabriel Benitez versus Justin James. Uh, not yet, though, because I think that fight got bumped down to the prelims. So the next fight will be the only women's fight on the card. It's a flyweight bout between Tyler Santos at 8,900. And Montana De La Rosa at 7,300. Santos enters as a minus 215 favorite. I was all over her in terms of exposure for her fighting against Molly McCann. I think I'll go a little bit lighter for these builds on Saturday just because 8,900 is a bit of a tough price tag to pay. Um, she's still 15 and 1 in her professional career. She has some mission upside in Aspera FC. She showcased a lot of upside with her first round wins. However, we haven't seen that in the UFC yet, so I'm hoping that this is maybe one of those matchups that the UFC is kind of putting on a tee for her to knock it out of the park and get a win inside the distance. Uh, De La Rosa is 2-2 two and two in the UFC, coming off a decision loss to Vivian Arojo. Uh, she had some previous success in the Ultimate Fighter, but her last three fights have gone to the cards. Um, you know, we, we mention it almost every podcast how... You know, uh, these women's fights, typically they tend to go to the cards. Now, that hasn't really been the case. Uh, We've seen a lot of uh, female underdogs score surprising submissions from the bottom. Uh, (laughs) I'm still guessing Santos gets the win here, but I'm a little bit nervous about exposure.
1: I'm I'm there with you. Uh, I think Santos' price tag makes her prohibitive to use in DFS. Uh, She had she had opportunities to finish the fight against Molly McCann and and just couldn't, uh, you know, McCann is tough. She, she's not going to tap easy and Santos couldn't quite get the submission to finish her, but it was still a nice win. Uh, and we were all over that. You know, that was, that was a, that was easy money because people had way overrated Molly McCann and way underrated Talia Santos who had, you know, one kind of tough UFC loss. And those are the opportunities we got to look for. Um, you know, it's hard to say how this one's going to play out because Santos, I think, has a pretty clear striking advantage. De La Rosa's striking is okay. But, you know, uh, Santos being a much better athlete and and probably is the stronger woman is going to have her way in the striking. Where De La Rosa is live is she's got great submissions and solid wrestling. Um, you know, Santos has both you know submissions at least in, in her in her pocket. Um, her grappling, we don't really know. You know she outgrappled Molly McCann easily, but Mara Romero Barella had, uh, you know, I wouldn't say put on a clinic, but gave her trouble uh, in in her UFC debut, and that that was a big reason behind Barella's um, uh, split decision win. There uh, was that she outgrappled her for for the second and third rounds. So, you know, can De La Rosa, a veteran here, give her problems? Um, I'm going to sprinkle some De La Rosa in. I'm not really going to use any Santos. I I think De La Rosa is a little bit of a safer fighter. I don't think she's going to get knocked out. I don't think she'll get submitted. So a decision probably doesn't pay the bills for Santos. Um, And again, Santos is a, she's on the Astra fight team. Their whole MO is that they, they pit their fighters up against cans well beyond what the average management will do. Um, you know, run them up to, to, you know, she had a 13 and 0 record when she made her contender series appearance. She won that and then looked horrible in her UFC debut. That'd be Molly McCann. So we still don't know who she is. We're going to find out a little more Saturday night, but I don't think she's a, you know, a challenger at this, at, at, at this point yet. She needs a, at least more seasoning uh, before we're going to see anything out of her, in my opinion.
0: So if this goes to the cards, do you think that there's enough volume for Santos to return value or no? I don't. I don't think there is. I kind of agree. All right. Next fight on the card is – I might butcher the pronunciation. I think I remember. Roman Deleeds at 8,700 versus John Allen, 7,500. It's a light heavyweight bout. Uh, Am I getting that right, Deleeds? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Love it. Uh, He's a minus 200 favorite to win. Uh, He's coming off a pretty impressive UFC debut where he finished – Kadiz Ibrajimov in the first round over the summer. He's now 7-0 in his professional career. All the wins have come inside the distance, and five of those seven wins have come in the first round. John Allen comes in as an okay underdog. He scored a few wins inside the distance, but he's prone to getting submiss- submitted, as we've seen in his last three losses as a, as a professional. Uh, I feel like the can probably score an early win here without needing really any grappling. So I feel like at 8,700, a first round win is on the table unless you can convince me uh, or at least instill a little bit of faith in John Allen. Not
1: much faith in John Allen. Uh, (laughs) My concern is more (laughs) on the part. You know, he came in to that fight with Ibrahimov and was pretty apprehensive for a guy that is bigger, stronger, meaner, at least meaner-looking. Um, and they just kind of stared at each other for a lot of the first round. Uh, and then, you know, Deleeds threw a kick, and Iber Gimov was either ducking for a takedown or, or maybe a, a, a punch to the body and just, you know, went into the knee of the kick and got flattened. So I don't, it wasn't a fluke knockout, but, like... It wasn't some clean piece of striking that Deletes was just, you know,
0: hands and, and feet above. Uh, yeah, I, I think I remember this one too because his, his highlight reel from other promotions was pretty dominant and just very clean wins. And I and I think you're hitting the nail on the head how this was – it wasn't necessarily – f- yeah, right. Yeah, you're right.
1: So like John Allen, not high level, but like I could see him having the best striking that, that DeLeeds has faced. I mean, I, I would expect him to have the best striking that DeLeeds has faced. Probably the the toughest, you know, opponent, like a guy that's got actual wins uh, that that are somewhat uh, reasonable. So I think it it all depends on, you know, does if if Allen pushes the the, the pace a little bit, then yeah, I'm probably more interested in DeLeeds. Um, but yeah, it's a big price tag. So I also think like. People are going to look at it and say, oh, you know, first-round knockout is, is in play there for the leads. I'm going to use them. Maybe he wins it in the third round by submission. That's not great if it's not a, a high-paced fight. Um, right. You know, second round, hit or miss. Uh, again, mm-hmm. if he fights at the pace he did against Ibrahimov, you know, uh, it's, it's probably— 80-some points, and that's not going to be enough to, to get you home in a, in a GPP. So, I'm going to use him, but I, I've got some skepticism.
0: Love it. Alright, next fight. I'm definitely going to mispronounce this one. Movsar Evlov, 9,300 versus Nate Landwehr. Uh, 6,900 nice for a featherweight bout. Evlov is a minus 630 favorite. Uh, I'm pretty confident he uh, probably gets the win. He's 3-0 in the UFC, but all three wins have come via decision, so that has me a little bit apprehensive for DFS. Um, I was heavy on Evloev uh, in July against Mike Grundy. I remember we kind of previewed the fight. You really talked me on to him. Haven't seen the submissions or finishes from that we typically like to see from a Russian fighter. Uh, even with his takedowns, he still hasn't hit 90 points on DraftKings in his three fights. And I know we don't have... <clears throat> I don't know. We don't really put Nate Landwehr on a pedestal, rightfully so. However, in his last fight against Darren Elkins, he basically turned Elkins face into a Picasso painting. It was ugly for Darren Elkins and and Elkins is a guy that is pretty fun to target in DFS and I think we were pretty light on landwear. However, very impressive showing from Landwear. I think it was a win via decision. Had the volume um and he just looked like a real tough SOB. Uh really weird haircut. Feel like he should just shave his head. It would be a better look for him. Uh I don't want to sleep on Landwehr because I just feel like 6,900 is a really good price tag for a guy who could hang around in this fight. But I do acknowledge that if uh, Evlov can get this to the ground, it really sucks for Landwehr's upside. Uh, you speak for yourself, Dan,
1: about putting uh, Nate Landbar on a pedestal. Uh, I absolutely will put him on a pedestal. Oh, okay, <laughs> the, the man's a wild man. He's he's all entertainment. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, in this fight, it's it's an uphill climb for him. Evloev it's it's he's got that Russian efficiency which is another way of saying doesn't take risks and fights kind of boring it works you know it's it's great at winning fights his his takedowns are efficient Mm -hmm. they are uh methodical he's not a chain wrestler though he's not going to take a guy down um and if he starts getting up grab his back and take him down again you know he's he's going to be measured. and you know it, it works for winning fights, but uh, not not for DFS for Does Landwehr players, have though. good takedown defense? <laughs> it's hard to say. Like
0: Herbert Burns just KO'd him, right?
1: Yeah, he KO'd him. He did. He did. I think need from
0: the clinch is what it's on.
1: Need him, and it was off of a. I think he took him down really easily, and it was like that didn't seem great. And then Landwehr did pop up, and then he got need. Um, the other thing is Net- Landwehr made a career uh, of fighting Russian dudes in M1 mm-hmm. and just chewing them up. Like he was like, just throw anybody whose name ends in an OV or an EV <laughs> or an IK and they're my dude. And, and you know, uh, I, I don't in his, in his latest M1 run, he didn't lose a single fight. So, um, you know, it's M.O.F. fought some dudes on the regional scene that were solid. But his UFC competition has been pretty, you know, pretty mediocre. Grundy, you know, he's okay. Enrique Barzola, he's okay. Um, Sang Wu Choi was was, you know, he's okay for the regional scene, not quite UFC caliber. But yeah, they're they're all fine. But like Landwehr, I think is going to challenge Evloev in a way that nobody has yet, and we're going to find out if he can answer that challenge because. Landwehr does not give any Fs. He's, he's like, oh, you can wrestle me. You can hit me. I'm going to keep coming. Um, mm-hmm. dude is, dude is absolutely wild. I hope he turns it into a fun fight. Um, and especially if he can survive out of the first round, that's when there could be some problems for Evlo as His gets a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident that he can survive being taken down and the grappling. But, you know, i love on the other side, um, pretty safe bet uh as far as that goes and you know he's got some submission uh he's live for a submission a little bit there because land will put himself in bad spots to get out of of uh, being taken down so um i'm gonna use more landware than i'm
0: probably comfortable with just because <laughs> it's so cheap it's very cheap and he has I, he yeah, like, could I, easily return 12x
1: I mean, yeah, if he if he wins, he's winning by knockout. He's not winning a decision. Uh, so it's 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 going to be, you know, a second round knockout or or maybe a third round knockout. And either way, it's it's probably enough to to return value. I wouldn't say I'm confident in it. I would still nope. pick Evloev to right. win the fight. But it's, it's something to think about.
0: So um, real quick, in a GPP, what do you think the ownership will be for each guy?
1: Uh, i haven't done ownership guesses um it's hard it's hard because fights have been going on and off of cards and it's like you know it, it used to be easy because you always had about 12 fights so you could be comfortable guessing ownership but mm-hmm. uh landware i'd probably say about twelve percent and mm-hmm. evloev forty. 42 percent something like that
0: okay all right uh next fight that we'll preview gabriel benitez nope i skipped one no i did not gabriel benitez 8600 versus justin Jane, 7600 it's a lightweight bout uh basically the main event of the prelims benitez enters as a minus 215 favorite he's coming off back-to-back losses in fact he hasn't won since may of 2018 three and four in his last seven fights but he'll have a three-inch reach advantage uh james had an impressive debut in a win over frank camacho back in june scored a first round win followed that up with a submission loss to gavin tucker though so i'm curious to see how you're reading this one only because if i'm looking at based off of i don't know like uh recent history or recency bias i'm not crazy about either fighter I'm i really want to see if you can talk me onto one of these guys this is a a banger
1: of a fight in my opinion uh justin james is about one thing and that's punching people in the head hard um he's not a great mixed martial artist but dude dude comes to fight uh you know he had gavin tucker in trouble knocked him down in in the first round of their fight but tucker to his credit uh, really rallied got really busy in the second round and then was able to to close it out in the third round um you know uh, Bogli benitez is, is a dude who is is a game fighter as well. You know, you mentioned his success hasn't quite been there, but um, you know, you hear things about the, his training and, and, and things from the gym. And the dude has just like some of the hardest kicks around. Like people won't hold the bags for him because you might break an arm. Um, so, uh, you know, he's, he's live for a knockout in any fight he's in, um, you know, he, he came pretty close to beating Sadiq Yusuf in their fight. Uh, had Yusuf in in pretty big trouble and Sadiq managed to pull it out and, and come back and knock Mowgli out there. Uh, so I think, I think I'm actually leaning Jane's way because we've seen Benitez be, he's been cracked in, in a good amount of his recent fights and had moments there where he's been in trouble, uh, after absorbing a punch, um, but I don't think this one's seeing the scorecards. I, I think this one's going to end inside the distance. These guys are both of the same mindset that uh, they, they want to get after it. they want to put the other person out. I'm leaning Jane's way from from what we've seen inside the octagon. He's an opportunist, and I, I think he's going to f- find a way to get it done.
0: Love it. All right, next fight is Louis Smolka, 8,300, versus Jose Quinonez. 7,900, we got a bantamweight bout. Smolka enters as a minus 135 favorite. Seems like a really good GPP fight to target. Uh, Smolka's last four fights have ended inside the distance. Uh, Three of those fights have ended in round one now. These aren't necessarily wins. I'm just saying that either he is scoring an early win or his opponent is. Um, He's flashed 100-plus point upside, as has Quinones, so it's definitely going to be a good fight to get right in GPPs, although as of late... Uh, Quinones has won most of his fights uh, by decision. I um, feel like I'm going to have a little bit more exposure to Smoke. Really interested in how you're reading this one.
1: Yeah, I'm not <laughs> that
0: interested in Smoke, to
1: be honest. Really? Yeah. His wins have come against really low level folks. Um, you know, he, he washed out of the UFC, had to go down to lower promotions, string and wins together. He submitted Sue Mederji, who we just saw um, mm-hmm. have a pretty good performance. But Maderji's all about the striking. If he loses, it's by submission. And Smolka's got that. He is live for a submission here. But, like, then, you know, he, he lost to Matt Schnell. He beat Ryan McDonald. He lost to Casey Kenny pretty quickly. So, if you're not bottom of the barrel, I don't think Smolka's going to beat you. Canonez, he's a definite journeyman, but he's... He's solid all around. Like, he's got good wrestling, good takedown defense. He's good at, you know, kind of using his range. Um, he got smoked by Sean O'Malley, but, you know, everybody besides Mar- Marlon Vera <laughs> got smoked by Sean O'Malley. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and, and Kenoni's even beat Carlos Halsheen, who was in a, a – up-and-coming latin prospect so i think i think he's the right bet the only problem is his style is more of a decision win style um you know smolka could push the issue and and one of the guys could end up winning inside the distance but i my read on this is canona's wins by decision and uh it's probably not a high score
0: okay all right, next fight. One fighter I'm very interested in this week, as will I think a lot of people be. Uh, Jordan Levitt at 9,200 versus Matt Wyman at 7,000. It's a lightweight bout. Levitt's coming in as a minus 410 favorite in his UFC debut. He's a pretty flashy dude on his feet, a little bit of a showboat. Um, but when he gets to the fight, fu- when he brings the fight to the ground, he's a submission machine. Uh, dominates the fight on the ground. He's 7-0 in his professional career with four wins coming via submission. He has three more wins as an amateur uh, via submission, and he carries a four-inch uh, reach advantage over Wyman. Wyman's a pretty well-traveled dude. We were talking before the podcast how he came out of retirement retirement to collect a check. He's 37. He was on, on the Ultimate Fighter 5 over 13 years ago. at a four-and-a-half-year hiatus from 2014 to 2019, and since returning, he's lost his last two fights. My concern that we've seen with guys making their UFC debut, well, I have two concerns. I think one, um, he gets a little overconfident with the flashiness and maybe Wyman can somehow just land one shot that can maybe steal the fight. My bigger concern is that maybe he's a little too nervous for his actual official debut in the UFC and maybe he gets a little too conservative. But based on what I've seen from the highlight reel, I'd be very surprised if that did happen. Um, but I'll take Levitt to win via submission.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know where we're at with Levitt. He's, he's got limited um, fight experience. You, you hit the highlights there. Really what it's all about is, is Matt Wyman. Uh, it doesn't make sense that he took the time off that he did, and then came back at the age he did. Lost two fights, really one-sided fights against, you know, Joe Selecki's a decent fighter, but Luis Pena, we've seen, uh, is, is not great. Um, you know, other than being enormous for the division, that's his, his only calling card. Um, so, you know, basically any up-and-coming fighter for me is a great bet against Matt Wyman because he's just going to... He's going to accept whatever fight you bring to him. You know, if you beat him up, he'll get beat up. If you if you grapple him, take him down. He doesn't have a lot of answers for that at this point in his career. So, uh, you know, there there like I said, there are a couple of risks there probably that Levitt could get a little overextended and maybe get into danger. Um, but I, I don't see it happening. So, uh, Levitt he's probably the most popular fighter of the night.
0: All right, uh, next fight on the cards, Jimmy Flick, 8,500, versus Cody Durden at 7,700. It's a flyweight bout. Not a fight that either of us are particularly excited about. Uh, similar to uh, Jordan Levitt, Flick is making his UFC debut, coming off a contender series win via submission. His last eight wins dating back to 2016 have all come via submission. However, he's prone to losing via knockout or TKO. Um, and his UFC debut back in August uh Cody Durden fought to a draw with Chris Gutierrez uh only landed 36 strikes with two takedowns in yeah, what was, was a really boring fight. <laughs> exactly. Uh I'm a little weary of exposure to this fight so I may fade it. I'm not sure how many lineups I'm going to build but this one is not one that I'm targeting.
1: Yeah, the only only interest I have here is a, a little bit of flick given that he's got some submission upside. But you know the the debuting thing is is something that's been an issue, always is more so now uh, that the UFC is bringing anybody and everybody to, to the promotion that's available to sign a contract. Flick is you know he's legit for his for his part, um, and he's fought some decent people on the regional scene. Problem is he's lost to most of the pretty decent people he's fought on the regional scene, like uh, Levi Moles. He lost to Gutierrez. His most recent loss, Ray Rodriguez, but they're guys that you know. They've got a, a thirteen and five, 10 and two records. Um, you know, they're he's not losing to guys that are eight and eight or seven and eight things like that. So, um, I, I think he probably has a ways to go uh, to be a UFC level fighter. But luckily, Durden probably isn't either. So, I, I think he can win here. It's just a matter of
0: does it happen quickly. All right, next fight on the card is very interesting. Ilya Tapuria at 9,000 versus Damon Jackson at 7,200. Featherweight bout, Tapura uh, minus 250 favorite to win. You like seeing that? Seems like a lock, or at least close to one. Uh, Jackson's coming in with a four inch height and reach advantage, and I'm assuming he'll try and get this fight to the ground, as will Tapura, I'm guessing. Uh, For Jackson, 13 of his 18 wins as a pro have come via submission, and he won with a guillotine over Mirsad Bekdic back in September. Uh, Taperez coming off a win over Yusef Zalal, where he landed only 13 significant strikes, but pretty much matched that with 12 advances uh, and his numerous submission attempts. Had five takedowns as well, so that helped him return value. Uh, Feels like another fight. We'll probably see this one go to the ground and hope that someone scores a submission um, I know you're a pretty big uh, Tapura guy. Do you have any interest in Damon Jackson in this fight as well?
1: Just a sprinkle. Okay. Uh, you know, Tapura we saw him gas really hard in his fight um, against Yusuf Zalal. Zalal is a capable grappler. He's a really quick dude. He's calm in the cage. Um, was Was in some big trouble spots. I mean... You know, I forget who was announcing the fight, but it, I don't think it was one of the guys who goes, it's over, it's over, you know, the, the Joe Rogans of the world. Um, but he, it's, it, like, there was just so many moments where that, you could see, like, Joe go Joe Rogan going, ah, it's in tight, it's tight, he's in trouble. And then, you know, five minutes later, they hit the, the round ends. Um, Taporia just couldn't get it done. Jackson, for his, for any of his flaws, he's a, he's a cool cucumber in there, and... Uh, you know, he'll get beat up and, and keep coming. Um, I want to see what Teporia is made of on the feet in this one, actually. I, I'd like to see him focus on striking rather than grappling. Uh, he's a strong grappler. We know that. But his his one knockout win was just a hellacious knockout. So <laughs> Jackson is kind of in line to, to be knocked out in the same way. He's a long dude, um, kind of stands tall. Uh, is, you know, more compact and, and wings some power. So I'd like to see him, before he goes to any grappling, try to get it going on the feet and, and look for that knockout. And I, I think it's definitely live. If not, Ooh. you know, it's it's not... Um, it'd be tough to submit Jackson, but it's not possible. You know, taporia has got a really strong grip. Um, okay. and, and he's very aggressive. You know, mo- most people are scared to go for a lot of submissions at this level because it puts you in a bad spot if you don't finish the submission. You know, all of a sudden, now you're on bottom and somebody's elbow, elbowing you in the head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Taporia doesn't have that fear. He, he will grab um, a guillotine, an anaconda, you know, lot, lots of front headlock chokes that can wind up leaving you in a vulnerable spot. Doesn't have that fear, uh, at least not from from what we've seen so far. So
0: okay.
1: Taporia maybe... You know, if you're building 10 lineups, you might want a, a Damon Jackson share.
0: All right. Good stuff. And we'll move on to the opening fight on the card. It's the only heavyweight belt on the card, I believe. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, Gian Vellante at 8,800 versus Jake Collier at 7,400. is a minus 190 favorite to win. Um, well, we have plenty of fights on the card that'll go to the ground. I'm pretty sure this one stays vertical. Uh, both guys come in with more losses than wins in their last handful of fights, so each guy is pretty desperate for a win. I really want to get exposure to Collier, but he looked like absolute crap in his last fight. Used to be a pretty lean and cut dude, but he really packed on the pounds to get up in heavyweight. Um, man, he, he just got his ass kicked in 45 seconds by Tom Aspinall. Uh, on the other side, I do like Volante. He's coming off a loss, but he did have Maurice Green in a pretty dangerous spot in their last fight where he was laying some pretty heavy ground and pound on him. Uh, Green did score a submission from the bottom in round three. Nervous about playing either, but with heavy heavyweights, you know we typically do see some, you know, heavy hitters. These guys will gas, which sucks. Um, But I do think I like Volante uh, for a first or second round KO.
1: Yeah, it's don't let anybody tell you that the UFC matchmakers don't have a sense of humor. These these guys both. you know, moved up to heavyweight and and looked really bad, uh, really out of shape. Yeah. So the UFC decided to pair him up. Uh, I, I get I get a pretty big kick out of that. Uh, you know, they they need fights, so it's not like we can complain about having a fight on the card. It's you got to take what you can get at the moment.
0: It's just stunning because like if you look at Jake Collier like, when he was a lighter weight, he was a lean cut yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like his cardio was holding up perfectly fine, and now. And against Aspinall, he just looked so doughy and out of shape. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, when you're a guy that makes 205, you walk around about 235, 240. Um, so it's a common transition. You see as guys get older, they just stop wanting to cut a ton of weight, and they'll they'll fight it at heavyweight, especially when you can get a guy that's also a natural light heavyweight to, to fight you without having to cut weight like like happened here. But... Um, You know, he looked a little bit better this weigh-in. He still came in at 264 and a half. The limit is 265. That tells you he probably had to cut a little bit of weight. Yeah. Um, Still didn't look like he was in great shape. But, like, last weigh-in, it was – he didn't take his shirt off. Like, that's (laughs) – I think he rolled off the couch to take that fight against Aspinall. (laughs) Yeah. but, you know, I, I get the sense that maybe he trained a little bit more. He probably got, you know, he got paid for that fight for sure, the the UFC rate, and and probably had a little money for training, a little money to live on. Um, yeah, he gets a win here. He's getting another UFC fight. Uh, I, I think I like Collier in this one. Um, You're a braver man just, than I. You know, Vellante's just so bad. It's He can get beat up on the feet. He's He's not a good striker. He's easy to, you know, to outfox. Um, he's not great on the ground. Like he's he's a decent athlete for for even somebody who's out of shape because he was a former um, collegiate football player, and he still carries that athleticism. But um, I don't know. I just think Vellante finds a way to lose this, like he like he did in his last fight. <laughs> you know, Collier. There there aren't that many dogs to be all about on on this card, so. If Collier wins as a dog, uh, that's that's probably something you need. Okay. All
0: right. okay. I'll think about that one. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up with the uh, usual questions. Uh, favorite cash plays? I know we did talk about stacking the main event. Yeah, I really like the main event.
1: Uh, Jamal Hill I like for the price. You know, there's yeah. a little bit of risk there, but I, I do like him. Canonez, uh, you know – It's tough uh, when when you look at a guy that is a cash only play because of his his low ceiling, and do you really want to do that if you don't have a better option? That's okay. You know, seventy nine hundred is a pretty stomachable price tag, Um, but you know you're you're never gonna crack eighty points probably in this fight with Canonas, even on the if everything goes perfectly. Um, So that that's you know something to consider. And then you got uh, Taporia and Levitt, guys that are very young, aggressive, flashy. That comes with risk. So, you know, I think you probably do need to pick one because things go right. They're scoring 110, 120, and you're just not going to find anybody else that can match that score predictably. So you, you probably need one or both of them.
0: All right, and uh, favorite value plays or uh, GPP plays? I know Landwehr is going to crack that list.
1: Landwehr, yeah. I, I don't think he gets finished, so it could be one of those cards where, like, just the cheapest dog that, that sees the scorecards is something that could be really useful. Nice. Um, Justin James, I, I think he's live for, for a knockout, uh, as we mentioned. Um, Collier, you know. I don't see him finishing the fight in any spectacular method, but like we said, a, a win's a win. And then you, you probably really need to get the, the main event right. That That's a
0: tricky one, but... Yeah. Uh, have you looked at any prop bets yet, or should we just be on the lookout for that with the wager alarm video on Saturday? Yeah, I put a couple props in the
1: playbook, or at least one prop, I believe. Let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, Taporia inside the distance is plus 100. Um, you know, that's... I think he can win a decision, but I think his his preferred method is to win by submission or knockout. So he's going to go for it. Uh, if you can get yourself to plus money, there you go. And Justin Jane's inside the distance plus three twenty. Uh, I think that's the only way he wins. And mm. you know, uh, he's fighting a guy that you you can knock out.
0: All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Definitely check out Mike's playbook. Be on the lookout for the corner man video and the wager alarm. Uh, Quick picks. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the F.A. Nation.